Hi, I'm Todd Killian, and welcome to Christmas Clatter, the podcast that celebrates everything that makes Christmas special. Be sure to head over to our website, christmasclatter.com. There you'll find our weekly blog posts. You can also sign up for our free monthly email newsletter, Clatter Chatter. You can also send me a message via email at todd at christmasclatter.com. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Hi, and welcome back to Christmas Clatter. I'm Todd Killian. I'm going to keep this uh, housekeeping a little short because with the melee ahead, it's going to be a long episode as it is. A couple things I want to touch on real quick. Um, it is May. It is the second anniversary of Christmas Clatter. And I will have a something special coming up a little bit later this month, closer to the end, but probably right before Memorial Day, probably. So stay tuned to all the social medias for that. And don't forget about the YouTube channel. Uh, the YouTube channel is not running parallel with the podcast this week because the melee is too much video for my editing skills at this moment. But there will be a new YouTube video up tomorrow as this podcast drops here on Tuesday. Also, you will hear um, people talk about the chat and the live stream in this melee. If you'd like to be a part of a live stream in the melee and part of the chat, just uh, visit my Patreon at patreon.com slash Christmas clatter uh, to see how you can get involved in that. And then also if you're interested in fighting, or judging one of your favorite podcast hosts in season two of the Merry Melee, uh, shoot me an email at Todd at ChristmasClatter.com or shoot me a direct message on one of the social media apps. So let's crown a champion. Let's crown a first ever champion of the Merry Melee. Welcome to Merry Melee 4. We will crown the first ever champion of Merry Melee. We have the three winners from the previous Melees and a nice, wonderful guest panel of judges who are kind enough to sit in on all these shenanigans because they love to torture themselves, I suppose. But let's have a recap of the first three Melees. Tim from I Can't Wait for Christmas podcast was our inaugural winner of the merry melee it wasn't an easy fight tim outlasted intelligible rantings by anthony and tim although he did lead the merry melee wire to wire it was a bill buckner style gaff at the end by mike to seal the deal the next up on our merry melee two was tom from tis the podcast tom had this cat and mouse style he just sat back and let anthony destroy april while him, him himself accumulated just enough points to get to the speed round, he relied on his wit and intellect to mount the biggest comeback in Melee history. And then Yuletide TV's Brian, forever known as The Guy, was the Dark Horse winner from Merry Melee 3. He survived President Hot Dog's insistence that every Christmas movie be turned into a slasher film and the robotic Jerry D's spewing of facts. Two words describe Brian's under... Dog style pretzel rods. <laughs> so we want to thank you guys, you fighters, for coming back. And uh, we're they're representing the 
I can't wait for Christmas podcast. Tis the podcast, Yuletide TV. All the links will be in the show notes. So thanks, guys, for being here. Hey, whoever wins, I just hope we all have fun. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I hope the other winners will take from my example of donating all of my winnings to charity. I'm happy to there, donate all of your winnings to charity. There's money, right? Oh, yeah. Plenty of money. Lots of yes. money. Stacks and stacks of money. I don't really know what I'm doing here. I thought we were going to watch a movie. <laughs> it's happening. We may. We're partying up on Disney Plus later. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Falcon well, and jo- the Winter Soldier finale. Well, well join in me. <laughs> well, joining me to judge this Merry Melee back f- uh, judging from Merry Melee 1 is Alonzo Giraldi, film critic for The Rap. You'll see him on uh, Linoleum Knife Podcast where him and his husband Dave – review films and i've said it before on this podcast i will say it again it has legitimately become my go-to for movie reviews on a podcast i i really enjoy the banter and then eventually you guys get to the movies and (laughs) i'm gonna tell you this there's a lot of movies in there i'll probably never get to so i kind of use it as a cliff notes so at least when someone brings up a movie i can at least talk about it a little bit. I'll tell you, we're there to get you through some cocktail parties. And I, and I, I just want to say how much I admire your use of the term melee history in talking about the second episode. That is, <laughs> right. you know, you, you get this <laughs> podcasting game like few others do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got you to gotta promote, promote, promote so mm-hmm. people think it's a big deal. Okay. So, <laughs> but but uh, you can, you can uh, hear Alonzo on, of course, Linoleum Knife, Breakfast All Day, uh, a film and a movie pod, which he does with Dan from uh, Deck the Hallmark. He's also been on Deck the Hallmark on a weekly basis doing off Hallmark Christmas movies. And he is the writer of the book, Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, which I always say, if you even remotely love Christmas, you have to have that book. It is the Bible to Christmas movies. And for pre-order, I'll Be Home for Christmas, which he helped co-write with the guys from Deck the Hallmark. And it is on pre-order on Amazon and links to that book and his have a movie, um, have a movie little Christmas will be in the show notes. Thanks so much, Alonzo, for being here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yes. And returning again from the first Merry Melee, like I talked about before that fell at the finish line. Mike, I'm sorry to bring that, that horrible, painful memory up. I've known you, we've had I'll to put you okay. through counseling and stuff like that, but, uh, <laughs> thanks for, uh, Returning here as a judge to lend your expertise and knowledge of all things Christmas and entertainment to judge. You can find Mike on the Advent Calendar House podcast where he reviews TV specials around the holidays. It's a delightful podcast to listen to and is is one that I make sure I I hit every new episode of. Hey, thanks. Uh I'm also here. And stepping in for us as a pinch judge, we had a few uh, snafus with our judges, is Anthony from Tis the Podcast. You all know Anthony well here on Christmas Clatter. He's on about, seems like every other episode, but uh, I really appreciate that. And uh, Anthony, you can find him on Tis the Podcast along with Tom. And uh, hopefully this does not, this melee does not end Tis the Podcast. I was afraid that second melee might. Thanks for having me back, Todd. I look forward to judging two people who beat me in previous melees. Oh, I'm really, I'm really glad you were able to be Todd's silver medal for the night, Anthony. <laughs> oh, boy. 
Good night, everybody. So, so I'm just going to go ahead and say I probably have the worst strategy by starting out uh, heckling the judge. That's uh, probably not the way to win tonight. I, I don't even have to go back at you because I wield power tonight. Oh, dear. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't Alrighty, know if I should be excited or not. Brian, you should be. Your, your response should just be a big smile right now because uh, it's like watching your friend's parents yeah. fight. Coming up next after Mary Melee, couples therapy. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> All right, we'll get into it. Um, Anthony, you haven't haven't had a chance to look at the fighters sheet yet, but uh, I'll, I'll I'll help you through. Anytime there's a anytime we judge, you will go after Alonzo. Will be your order. So just after Alonzo there. So Man, first, setting me up for failure, even with the judges following <laughs> such a great guy there. Oh please. <laughs> So, all right. Normally here on Merry Melee, we ask a question, but being the championship round, we went a little tougher. And instead of asking a question, I wanted you three to pitch us a movie ideal. So, Brian, pitch us the plot for a Santa Claus origin story. Begin with your opening statement, sir. Uh, How much time do I have? A minute or so. Okay. (laughs) Super technical. Write yep. it down. We, we okay. are spot on. Hold on. I, actually, I can actually set my clock to or so. <laughs> the judges are right. here from Funkin' Wagnalls. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's my pitch, okay? A man loses his whole family during the Crusades of 1225. This man goes out and he kills everyone responsible. Now, after all this killing and the Crusades are done... He rots in despair in the streets of Constantinople till one day he steals a loaf of bread, but gives this to another starving girl who reminds him of his daughter that he lost. And from there, he realizes how good that giving feels and keeps giving then and therefore. Eventually, he gets magic and lives forever. This man becomes Santa. Now, in this pitch, I have casted Nick Offerman as Santa as well as every care, every actor ever in a BBC special. This would be directed by Tom Hanks and would air as an HBO miniseries. Think Chernobyl, but merrier. All right. Thank you, Brian. Tom? Well, I think it's cute that we come up with ideas to construct how somebody does something good to, to um, become the, the, the man and the myth and the legend behind Santa Claus. But for me... I'm a big fan of the classics. So I'm going to say, let's pitch a story of a fourth century bishop in Myra and Lycia who had just survived uh, horrific tortures and abuse uh, before the legalization of his religion. And uh, let's follow what he does to help others around him. You know, we'll, we'll focus on his spirit of generosity and his love for his neighbors and how that imbues those around the world to continue those generous acts of kindness um, to inspire others to do better, to be better, and to love. Uh, and, you know, it's going to inspire the entire spirit of Christmas for generations to come. I don't really think you can one-up uh, the man who already lived and has made himself so well-known around the world that he is not only associated with Christmas, but the patron saint of sailors, merchant, merchants, archers, repentant thieves, prostitutes, children, brewers, pawnbrokers, unmarried people, and students. 
Uh, it's a tough, it's, that's a tough act to follow. And I say, let's stick to the facts and let's honor the actual man behind Santa Claus. Alrighty. Thank you, Tim. All right. Uh, as Patton Oswald would say, since this is a prequel, we're going to talk about St. Nicholas, but what if we saw him when he was a kid? That's where it has to start. <laughs> uh, so it's an origin story. It, it starts with St. Nicholas as a child. He's playing in the forest, talking to someone. When his parents find him, he's sitting alone. His parents walk off with him, and you think, oh, maybe he was just talking to some animals. But then, as the family leaves, we, silhouettes, we see silhouettes of tiny creatures running through the trees. Could those be elves? Spoiler alert. Yes, those are elves. Cut to adult Nicholas. He's worried that the people in his town are just sad due to rough times. Suddenly, the elves burst back into his life. They start giving him ideas on how to give little surprises so the people in the town will raise their spirits. It all goes well until grumpy old townsman Mr. Krampus sees some of the elves, and he's scared of them. He thinks they're demons, so he tries to get the town together to rally to run them out of town. So St. Nicholas helps them escape to the north, and the elves convince St. Nicholas to come with them. And that's how... Oh, wait, no, no. He promises to return once every year. But wait, what's this thing going to be called? <laughs> well, imaginary listener who sounds and kind of looks like Kermit the Frog, it's going to be called Santa Begins. Thank you very much. All right. Ta the table is open. The floor is open for debate, guys. You know, I, uh, I, I, like, I like the idea of the elves inspiring Santa to give gifts to make people happy, but I can't help but think there's something more emotionally charged about you know helping keep girls from getting sold into prostitution maybe it's just me um but i've kind of been against child prostitution long before q became a thing like saint nicholas uh and feel like that's maybe a little better origin story for things like stockings you know keeping so people, i'm not sure why you're trying to paint me as pro child prostitution but that is clearly not what this movie is about and i would really movie like is a to great divert I'd it's really a great like biopic to from of St. Nicholas and sex but the trafficking. Oh, we're totally talking over each other. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> go ahead, Brian. I, I, I just want to see if we can get a flag on the field, much like in football, for too many players. Um, Kermit was not in my notes here, as someone I'd be arguing against. Uh, point and, of legal fact, uh, that, that was not Kermit. That was an imaginary fair. listener that sounds and kind of looks like Kermit. We that, don't want to get sorry, sued by Disney. That is correct. You're right. You're right. That is correct. I do not want the Henson family on my ass. Um, the character that sounded suspiciously felt like uh, felt like two brains in one. And uh, I also feel like Tom has a really great uh, uh, structure, the bones for a pitch, but it, it, I'm lacking the story. I'm lacking the image of how this movie would be. What are the plot points? Which is why I think my story kind of hits those markers. We get that origin. We see the beats of the story before you. Here's what I'm wondering, though. Do we want to start a merry movie about Christmas about where a dude is killing a bunch of people? And especially if it's a several-part miniseries, that means that's all part one is. Like, let's sit down and watch this Christmas movie. Oh, my gosh, so many people yeah. are dead. Well, you know, no one, no one asked for um, Guy Pierce's. FX miniseries of A Christmas Carol, but we still got it, and it was I, still revered by the BBC. So I think there is a market for darker, more adult themes there. And now, it's HBO. I'm, We're not necessarily looking to uh, appease the kids. This isn't going to be on Disney+. Plus. Now, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and take a little offense here. 
Brian. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with with first with fourth century episcopacy. You know the the again the story where Saint Nicholas originates from. But one of the things bi- bishops are not allowed to do is murder people. It's generally frowned upon for clergy to to kill people. Well, it was then, mm-hmm. and it always has been in the Christian East where he was. I know there was some mm-hmm. swirly stuff, you know, uh, in the Crusades. But um, the Saint Nicholas was very much opposed to murder. Um, his whole life. His um, whole I life was raised Catholic. So y'all are perfect. Yeah, uh, I was um, raised Catholic. So very little, very little. <laughs> uh, I would and, say, I would say my story is the making of a redemption story, right? No one is born perfect and you have to fall before we can pick ourselves up again, Master Bruce. So to get to a point of being story worthy, I should go slaughter a bunch of people. Now, I, I mean, that's what say, your boy yeah. Zack Snyder would yeah. say. But I would like to point that out. That would be my story. That would be my story. Whoa, yeah. blow. Uh, I would like to say that your, Tom, your pitch is an excellent biography of St. Nicholas, but the prompt was to write a Santa Claus origin story. Santa Claus is more than just St. Nicholas, he, co- he encompasses the entire character. Whereas my story tells how. How he went from the part of the story we never hear. How did he go from St. Nicholas to Guy and Beard living in the North Pole? This story answers that question with very marketable little elf toys that you can sell at the stores. If you love minions, let me tell you, studio exec, you're going to love these. You should buy this movie. Okay, I cannot compete with marketable things, but I will say Santa Claus is more than one person. Santa Claus is in every human being who decides at Christmas time to do something kind for one another. We can pick up that torch and continue it. Um, I'm getting a finger. Oh, yeah. Todd's giving me the finger. <laughs> He's giving you a finger. Yeah. Okay. Did you finish your thought, Tom? Eh, close enough. All right. <laughs> Brian, Brian, go ahead and start us uh, with your closing state- statement. Uh, they're all great ideas, but what we're doing in the end is we're pitching a movie. This is going to be a piece of fiction, or I'm sorry, we're not necessarily pitching a, a movie. We're pitching a plot. And uh, this is inherently a, a fiction that we can take our own liberties with. We can have our own fun with and make it uh, something marketable. Maybe Snacks, Zack Snyder, maybe Snack Zyder, what the... Maybe Zack Snyder wants to take a cut out of this, wants to make this four-hour, one-episode thing as part one, right? And we're living in a time where there's a lot of creative possibilities. And if we put this in the right hands of the right people, it could be something great. Alrighty, thank you. Tom, go ahead with your you closing know, I don't, statement. I'm not looking for a large studio budget to make this happen. You can do it on a minimal budget. And if there's anything we see from movies like The Passion of the Christ, where it is a biopic um, historical film, there's a lot of money to be made here. Passion of the Christ brought in you know, over half a billion dollars. I think there's some people are looking for that his, historical connection uh, to something a little bit more real and a little less flashy. And uh, that's where I'm going to hang my hat. I'm going to say that's what we that, that this is what we should do. We should show the development of of Saint Nicholas, you know, from the the actual origin, the true origin story. All right, Alrighty, Tim. Well, I mean, these are three very interesting movies, and 
I got to say, though, the only one that really says, like, hey, a happy Santa Claus origin story. Like, yes, you could watch the Zack Snyder sorry, uh, HBO miniseries that starts with Blood and Guts or the art house independent movie that's just about St. Nicholas. But if you want a Santa Claus origin story, Santa begins with his magical elves and the explaining of, of how things happened really gets really foots the bill gets the job done. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Those are uh, some very different movies, very different takes. Alonzo, what's your thoughts on this? Well, I, I was really disappointed that none of these pitches mentioned, you know, such essential figures as the Winter Warlock and the Burgermeister Meisterburger. But, you know, OK, fine. We're going in another direction, I guess. Um you know, Tom is pitching me a documentary, which fine, sure, it, it is giving me like terrifying flashbacks of the St. Nicholas sequences from Kirk Cameron saving Christmas, but it's just not screaming holiday at me. You know, this seems like an hour on the History Channel. I don't know. It's not, I'm not, I'm not really feeling it. And then Brian, yeah, I, I think it's really asking a lot of an audience of a Christmas film to begin with mass slaughter and then, you know, segue into the heartwarming part. Uh, so I, I, I'm get as much as I hated that the elves in the two Christmas Chronicles movies were clearly being pitched at me to be the new minions in a way that I found super annoying. Despite that, uh, everything else I liked about Tim's pitch. So I'm going to go with that one. All right, Tim. Alrighty, Anthony, what were your thoughts? So I appreciated the fact that all three of you had very different pitches. Brian, starting out with you, I am a Snyder fan, so I liked your darker take, but I have to agree with Alonzo. Like, that's asking a lot of an audience to sit through in the first hour to see, to open up a Christmas film with mass slaughter. Plus, I didn't feel like you really explain how we get from that person to Santa. You just said eventually he learns magic and becomes Santa. I wanted to flesh it out a little more. Tom, also I should agree with Alonzo. We're getting the History Channel version. I, I would like to see a movie based on St. Nicholas at some point, but if I'm looking at this from the perspective of a movie studio what's going to bring in the most money. I don't think that's it. Plus I have to agree with something Tim said that put the nail in the coffin of your, of your movie. It's a great biopic of St. Nicholas, but it's not a Santa Claus film. I can't let so, this so, go. Walk the line. <laughs> Ray, all of these are not documentaries. And it's, so, it is derivative in an argument to say that I'm trying to make a documentary. It is not, it is a biopic and we have seen these make huge huge amounts of money so tim despite your two digs at snyder i love it <laughs> i i loved your pitch uh i loved that it was magical it seemed fun it really you really sold how this guy becomes santa and you even included another christmas figure like krampus so i have to give my win to tim here all right tim gets the point so, Mike, uh, you get to be excused from judging this round, but what were your thoughts on it? <laughs> I yes. really wanted to like Tom's when I saw these first, but <clears throat> what was missing was the jump from becoming 
Saint Nicholas becoming that saint figure, becoming that Santa Claus figure. Other than that, I do want to see all three of these movies at some point, but there was some kind of transition missing from the first two. So I think I would have also gone with with Tim's just because that was in place. He actually gave us a direction. And, and also, and the other two. I would have looked past the pro pedophilia agenda and probably voted for Tim as well. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to second what you said, Mike. I would actually really like to see all three of them. It's just Tim answered the question best in my mind. I've got to, I've got to bow out. Tim did the best. Tim did the best pitch, y'all. I'll say this, Tom. Like I do know the difference between a biopic and a documentary, but I think that a biopic, <laughs> a biopic has a story and a, a narrative arc, and you are giving us a recitation of facts, and so we would need to find out. There has to be a plot. There has to be something that happens to St. Nicholas. There has to be the progress that he, of, of how he goes through his life. You know, um, you know, walk us through it to make it sound less dry. What you pitched just sounded more like a documentary. I think Alonzo just called Tom Jerry, if y'all know what I mean. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> All right, guys. I don't even get here in the that, chat. okay. <laughs> looking here in the chat, it looks like Art looks like Art just tuned in right when we were talking about mass slaughter, so he wasn't sure what we, what was going on. <laughs> we're talking about Christmas, yeah, Art. He's Come on. right on time. <laughs> we're talking about Christmas, man. That's right. <laughs> All right, guys. So that point goes to Tim. All right, let's move on to question two. Tom, you'll be leading off this question. After the year 1980, what is the best TV cartoon Christmas special? Uh, that's an easy one. It's a Garfield Christmas special. The movie takes our beloved, a beloved character from Americana, Garfield, uh, and... <clears throat> sets us in a beautiful uh christmas everything is christmas in this right we've got the the house where john and garfield and odie go to visit when when they go to john's childhood home um it looks christmassy it feels christmassy there's music throughout it that's christmassy we have a beautiful linus moment we watch this this development of garfield we see garfield begin to do something he doesn't typically do which is care about others the spirit of christmas changes garfield fundamentally so much that we see garfield hug odie at the end which is a beautiful moment um and it's one that stood the test of time it's it's since it's aired it's it's on every year it's made it countless times to dvd um yeah, I'm just going to say this was a, this is a classic that hasn't gone anywhere and I don't see going anywhere. And from my childhood, I can quote this movie ad nauseum. It's it's amazing. Uh, it also for everybody who's listening to this and everybody who's on this melee with me and judging, it validates us as human beings when we see grown-ups having this amount of excitement at Christmas as John and Doc Boy. Uh, I feel like that's probably each and every one of us at Christmas, and it is nice to see our kind represented in film. Alrighty, thank you, Tim. All right, I will be picking uh, 2011's Prep and Landing. Uh, it was an animated film, uh, film, excuse me, special from uh, Disney, and it stars Dave Foley as Wayne, this elf. So this imagines a world where. We have uh, where 
in order for Santa to go into the house, these elves have to go in and pre- prepare everything. Like they they rappel down the chimney, they make sure the kids are asleep. And they have all these technological gadgets, and it's it's a really fun way of imagining. Like you know, the answer to the age old question: How does he get into so many houses so quickly and efficiently, and not have anything go wrong? Uh, but of course, Wayne has been doing it for two hundred years, and he's due for promotion, but he doesn't get it, and so he even becomes disillusioned, and then paired with a new partner who is a rookie and just so into it. So you get to see that, you know, like the old school grizzled guy with the new person and the, the, the contrast of how they feel about the experience of getting ready for Christmas. And there's, there's a catharsis in it. There, there is a not catharsis, maybe a too strong a word. There is a transformation, but rediscovering what you love about something that you've done enough times that may be getting old. Wayne is able to rediscover that and we get to rediscover it with him. And that is why I picked this as uh, my favorite uh, animated special post-1980. Oh, thank you. And Brian? Uh, I picked Arnold's Christmas from Hey Arnold. Uh, it aired December 11th, 1996. And I, I, I have a lot of fun with these questions, right? I don't really, as you can tell from Santa massacring a lot of people, like I like to really kind of throw in a bunch of juju, if you will. Um, but when it came to this question, uh, I've always had this episode stick with me throughout life. It's had this, it's had one of those like weird kind of impacts on you as a child, Uh, that sticks with you in a really positive way. And it's because in this episode of Hey Arnold, Arnold, who lives in a boarding house uh, during Christmas time, asks one of the other tenants of the house that he lives in, Mr. Hun, what he wants for Christmas. And Mr. Hun tells the story of uh, war in his home country, uh, which is uh, heavily alluded to Vietnam, uh, and how he was living there. And he was in his city, and he had his daughter, and uh, they... Uh, very much love life together. However, he wanted a better life for his daughter since the country was becoming war-torn. So they went to the U.S. Embassy. And at the time, uh, there were very few helicopters left. So to give his daughter a better life, uh, he lifts her up to the soldiers uh, who take her onto the helicopter, and he never sees her again. He is not relocated, or he then relocated to New York and was unable to find her Well, then touched by the story, Arnold goes out for the episode on a search to find that daughter. And it's very hard for him. Uh, He doesn't know exactly what he's looking for, who he's talking to. It's uh, I think it's Christmas Eve or days before Christmas. So like no one's at work. He has to convince people out of the goodness of their heart to help him on this journey. And eventually it comes to fruition. You get this very touching moment where a man is reunited with his daughter. And I just... Uh, I really love that because it's the purest gift of all time when it comes to Christmas, which is reuniting a family and having that time with one another. He could have gone off and gotten him a gift of whatever or a gift card, right? But Arnold put in the time and unselfishly to no personal gain uh, provided a truly phenomenal gift. And that is my submission for Hey Arnold or for this question. Three, three great choices. The floor is open for debate, fighters. So yeah, I, I, f- I feel like it's popular for Gen X and the millennials to hate on Garfield. I want to make it clear, I am not one of those people. I loved Garfield. I, I read the comics. I collected the books. I've watched Garfield and Friends every Saturday morning. And yet I had never heard of this until I looked this up for this. I had never heard of this special. 
I then I went and watched it, and nothing happens. Like, I don't mean, like, no, like nothing physically, but, like, there's no plot. Like, there's no, like, oh, what are we trying to do? Like, what is in our way of, like, it's not like, oh, they're trying to prepare Christmas dinner and there's something went wrong. Or they're trying to do this and it's not working. Or, you know, the, the, this person's not into Christmas and we're going to make them into it. It's like, no, it was, we're pretty much just little vignettes of, hey, look, we're trimming the tree. We're singing songs. We're opening presents. Everything's great. See you next time. Christmas. Uh, you know, I mean, I can get that some people don't enjoy um, just celebrating Christmas, the thought and scenes of loved ones together, of helping people recover from loss, of finding the need to sacrifice self in some way. Um, I can see how those things are hard to connect with, especially in Christmas movies. But what I find hard to connect with is dated technology that makes this look like it, like films look like they're from 2011 without any longevity. Um, you know, the idea of of belittling and diminishing Santa's role and who he is by forcing some contrived need for uh, over engineering technology uh, just really never settles well for me. This is a, a problem I've discussed on our podcast with a lot of things. Um just hashtag not my Santa, right? Santa, the Santa I know and love doesn't need um, gizmos and gadgets to be who he is. And that, that always, that always settles wrong with me. Um, there are a lot of also, there are a lot of loopholes that I don't see like, like necessity. How was Santa able to do this before all these things came along? Um, you know, he's very dependent on, on what's available now. Um and I'm going to go ahead and just tell Brian, I wish I had something to complain about with the Hey Arnold Christmas. I wish I had an argument to bring it down, but I don't. It's a wonderful Christmas episode and it does embody it what Christmas is. Um, just like Garfield. I mean, these are both just, these okay. are both um, things that I would watch each and every year. Um, and I would argue Hey Arnold over Garfield because. It's like, I can't imagine what that meeting at Nickelodeon Studios was like. Hey, we're going to introduce elements of the Vietnam War to a children's cartoon. (laughs) But don't worry, it's going to pay off. And because of that, uh, again, it's just less like it. it, I I haven't seen it since recently, but it has always just had this profound impact on me. It's one of those things like when um, um, like when Littlefoot in Land Before Time you know, thinks he sees his mom as a shadow. Like it's just one of those things that just like emotionally grasp onto you and you realize, Oh, I'm going to think about this my entire life. And All right. uh, I, I gotta think, be that I guy because one. we're here to win. Um, I, I agree. The Hey Arnold special, like the message of that is very heartwarming when taken on its face. But if you think about it for a second, it's, uh, it's this Asian character who's come to this country in search of their daughter. Right. And they haven't been able to find them for however long they've been here. But yet, two white kids can somehow bang it out in less than a day, sort of infantizing and and doing that white savior complex that all of a sudden, oh, no, Asians can't handle this. Only little baby Arnold can do it. And also, there's a lot of flaws in it if you pick at it for even a second. He gives the baby to the helicopter. They didn't get any information. How do they know who that baby is? How do they find them later when the dude does a search on the internet for like a second and a half like at the very end of the night all of a sudden the daughter shows up and then she somehow recognizes him? It doesn't make sense. I know I am now nobody's favorite person. 
Now, I will the reason say that back- I think you're grasping at straws. <clears throat> I think that it was a hectic time. So why could they take any information? And uh, three, uh, I think you're uh, very dangerously generalizing the plot of that story. And I believe it is Arnold and Gerald who go out looking for uh, the daughter, uh, not just two white kids. Um, and the show's Hey Arnold, so it'd be weird if you know Arnold didn't I, help deliver on this. I want to push but back the on sister this is necessarily the one. being... Go sorry, ahead, the sister's the one that eventually gets it done. Go ahead and push back. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and push back a little bit because um, Garfield just has all of that, embodies that general Christmas spirit without needing to force over sentimentality, which, I mean, I do like the Hey Arnold special, but at times, I mean, it is a little bit of a contrived story. Um, um, that push I would it, that say towards, if but, the Garfield Christmas special had an impact on me, I would have greater points to debate this with you. All right, Tom, give us your closing statement. This is a, you know, the Garfield Christmas special is one that I have watched um, my, as long as I can remember. My whole family loves it. It crossed four generations. Um, you know, my, uh, uh, it was when my uncle was home from the military, uh, from the Marines, he watched it. My grandparents, my great grandmother, we all loved it. It was something that was, that was timeless and not, uh, didn't necessitate a certain, uh, uh, demographic to enjoy it. And, uh, I also give it bonus points in my book because the voice of John Arbuckle knows how to spell Tom correctly. (laughs) All right. Tim. Uh, well, uh, Let's first off say that uh, just because Santa needs help with the getting into the houses, that doesn't diminish Santa. Like, Santa doesn't make all the toys himself. Santa has other people. That's why he has other people. Um, also, uh, re- regarding Garfield, like like I said, it's just not, there's not very it's not very plot driven. And Grandma's uh, sentimental story kind of comes out of nowhere. Where she's like a crazy character, and then all of a sudden she has a serious sentimental story, and. Hey Arnold, I, I, it's great. It's hard. It's in the right place. But if you look at it too closely, it's very problematic. And that's why I say prep and landing with the superior animation quality. It wasn't a, it wasn't a show that was being stamped out every week and had that made for television quality. It was a, you know, it's a, I mean, Disney, that's what they do. That's how they, that's why they own everything. They are good at animation. And this was an excellent example of that. Alrighty. Brian? I think uh, all the time we spent agreeing on what a great Hey Arnold episode and Christmas special it was uh, is is my closing conclusion. So I'm just going to let that speak for itself. Alrighty, thanks, guys. Hey, Todd, before we get into judging, can I ask you a question? Yes, sir. Just because I didn't have time to prepare, I was kind of mm-hmm. called in as an alternate here. Can you clarify the wording of the question for me? Okay, I'll, I'll read it exactly. <laughs> I'll read it as exactly as the fighters have it. Thank you. Okay. After the year 1980, what is the best TV cartoon Christmas special? Thank you. And Anthony, you are up first to judge, sir. Awesome. Okay. So let me start out by saying I love all three of these specials. Brian, I haven't seen Hey Arnold's Christmas special in years, but it's always one that has stuck with me. And you just mentioned it, and I remember it completely, and I remember loving it, and I'm sure I still would to this day. Tim, I know this may come as a surprise because everyone knows my feelings on Arthur Christmas. I know it's a sticking point with Alonzo, especially. (laughs) But um, 
I love prep and landing. I love everything about that. I think they mixed the what the elves do and the technology with Santa very well in that film. And Tom, I love the Garfield special as well. I I don't think it needs a hardcore plot. Like it's the embodiment of Christmas and you know the grandma story gives me all the feelings, especially, and you do get a Linus moment with Garfield that you don't often see throughout the cartoon. So that was nice and and a nice change. The question, the question though, was what is the best Christmas special after 1980? Paraphrasing, but that was the question. Tim and Brian, you did great. You both did great jobs at uh, recapping both of those specials and why you personally loved it. But I'm going to have to give this win to Tom on the technicality that I think he did a good job of explaining why it's the best, not just why he loved it. So my point's going to go with Tom, despite the fact that he insulted Prep and Landing, which of the three is actually my favorite. So, Alrighty. Tom gets a point from... (laughs) Tom gets the point from Anthony. What do you say, Mike? For this one, because I was so familiar with all three of these and because I have a fondness for all three of these, I really had to listen to all of your arguments for and against each other. I I love Prep and Landing. I only discovered it this year. I don't have a nostalgia for it. I had to grow to love it. The first time I saw it, I was just like, okay, this was all right. Hey Arnold, I forgot about until recently, which I had to take points off for just because it's like, that doesn't make it the best if it's something that I forget. It is a Christmas special, so if anyone who's listening to this is wondering, is that just an episode of the show? No, it was a half hour special of Hey Arnold. Mm-hmm. It was. So it, it was. absolutely counts as a special. But I have Grandma Arbuckle burned into the back of my brain and she will not leave. The point here for me goes to Tom and Garfield. All righty. Tom with the point on this one. Alonzo, what are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, I have not seen all three of these. Um, so I was really having to listen to uh, how they were being pitched to me. Um, I will say this. I have never cared for the Garfield special, uh, but I'm older than you guys and I did not see it as a child. So that, uh, you know, always, I think, factors in a lot in how we deal with nostalgia. I will say Tom made a very strong case for it. And, and I know that people love it. I know that people younger than I do who grew up with it do hold it close to them for a reason. Uh, you know, so but it was it was a very good pitch, except that he kept calling it a movie, which is a thing that drives me crazy when people talk about TV specials. That's just me. Um, I, I, I liked prep and landing. Okay. When I saw it, but I have to say, Tim, you didn't really sell it to me as a Christmas episode, like, you know, as a Christmas special, rather, I, I get why you liked it on a technical level or why you were amused by it, but I didn't really get the, the sort of holiday oomph. So uh, really, even though I've never seen the Hey Arnold Christmas special, and in fact, until 10 minutes ago, did not know it ever existed, (laughs) uh, I would have given my vote to Brian because he sounds fascinating and he's spinning a heck of a yarn with this thing and tying it to the holiday. Right. Excellent. Uh, I had never seen a Hey Arnold until I saw the three things that were being competed about. I'm like, and then I saw it. I was like, oh man. So yes, I was 100 percent grasping at straws. 
<laughs> yeah. The white yeah. savior argument sounded fairly valid, though. Yeah. I, 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 but I have to see it before I can, you know, really second to that emotion. Tim, I, you almost had me with the white savior argument until Brian pointed out it was Gerald with Arnold, and then well, I was like, yeah. Yeah, Gerald, Gerald helped, doesn't but it get was it done. The it was Helga. It it, yeah, it was it's Helga. Not, yeah, it's Helga. Helga. Right. Helga. It's not the sister. Was, he doesn't have a sister. Yeah, no. I don't it, watch that show. Classmate <laughs> slash wistful love interest. Yeah, that's that does not age well. <laughs> that, that plot point in that cartoon does not age well at all. No, it doesn't. Well, if, we, if we ever ask the question, what movie or TV show ages well, it would be none of them. So. <laughs> also, the correct, correct answer to this question was Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas, but I was going to say all of the other reindeer, but oh, that's a good one. Yeah, all about all of the other reindeer. Oh. See, I would have said Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas was my other choice. Oh, you know, we had to pick three. I think that was one of mine. Yeah. yeah, I would have said Ziggy's Christmas would have been the one I would have. I really, I, I keep meaning to watch that one. I I'm, I I love Richard Williams. Treat I need yourself. Yes, it's on YouTube. The whole thing's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So. I've never seen it. Yeah. Oh my god. All right, put Sorry. this on pause. Let's crank it up. All right. Sorry guys, we're gonna go <laughs> watch, watch we'll a be movie. Right back. Just kidding, Alonzo. <laughs> Just kidding. I will hurt you. <laughs> Alonzo, it's funny that that bothers you so much because, and that Tom was the one who offended it this time because all it bothers right. him on the show all the time. I do. I always correct people for doing that, and I, so as soon as you said, it, I was like, oh, I'm not gonna hear the end of this. <laughs> Physician, heal thyself. (laughs) Very good, guys. All right. Let's move on to our third question. Tom with a point. Tim with a point. Brian, you really need to get on the board. So, good luck. If the first two place tie, does that mean I'm technically second place? Sure. Yes. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) All righty. For this third question, which cast member from the Expendables franchise should start playing the leading man in Hallmark Christmas movies? Tim, open us up with your... All right. Well, when you think of the Expendables movies, you think of a bunch of crusty old dudes that are just grasping at one last chance of success. Uh, to get in front of the camera and show their action chops. But many people forget that in the second movie... Uh, Liam Neeson. No, not Liam Neeson. Rewind that. <laughs> Liam Hemsworth. That's right. That's the guy. Was uh, in the movie and, spoiler alert, was killed to make sure everybody knew things were serious and can't send a young guy to do old guys' job. So, but Liam Hemsworth has everything you're looking for when you're looking for one of these Hallmark movie leading men. Hunky, for sure. Uh, that's it. That's all they're looking for. <laughs> He's got some name recognition. He's easy on the eyes. Plus, he's got that Australian accent, thus having letting him be uh, vaguely foreign, leading to all sorts of Hallmark plots. So, ladies and gentlemen, Liam Hemsworth. All righty. Thank you. Brian? Um, Liam Hemsworth is certainly an answer, and to some would be the correct answer for this kind of uh, uh, question. However, I would like to posit Dolph Lundgren as my character, uh, or as my character from The Expendables, my actor from The Expendables, uh, almost for the sole fact that he's damn near a Hallmark actor already, 
uh, having been on the show Arrow on CW. This man's career does not just solidify to A-list movies like Stallone. Stallone would never go for a Hallmark movie. That is far too beneath him. Where Dolph Lundgren really has fun with that career. He's done like a lot. I don't know if you've looked at his IMDb recently, but he has done a lot. Now, granted, a lot of that is action, right? He does still have that ability and that uh, 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 that range to act in really kind of any role that you would give him, right? This man has a number of PhDs, right? So he, we shouldn't typecast him to this action role. Uh, I think he would play a very fun, like crotchety, like widowed father whose kids are trying to set up. You know, I see these movies as a a way, again, kind of like my first answer, to take uh, someone who might be a little bit more hard-boiled and open that up more, which I think is a classic Hallmark movie style. All righty. Thank you. And Tom. So I want to specify one specific word in this question and... Um, that was should start playing the leading man. Um, if I look at the Hallmark covers with the, you know, green background with the, you know, red background with dude in green shirt with girl in green dress, um, I could confuse almost any one of those actors for, uh, Liam Helmsworth, Hemsworth, which tells me, you know, we, we've been there, done that. Um, Dolph Lundgren, I'd just be afraid he wouldn't be able to make it from one of his his um, all-night sex rager parties and get up and uh, work the next morning, uh, That which which has been a problem. Um, or the fact that, you know, as people are watching these and they, they you know, um, that kind of that kind of lifestyle did has in the past rolled over and been a problem in his filming. And I'd just be afraid of doing that again. So I'm going to posit Terry Crews that he should be. Um, Hallmark has said they have a new commitment to more diversity and Terry Crews fits that niche Um, coming in as a strong black actor would be an amazing um, in in just about anything he does. I love everything Terry Crews, Terry Crews does. Um, The guy is willing to go above and beyond for any part. He has the same, just like we were saying with Dolph Lundgren, he has the chops to do physical, anything physically he needs to just watch him do that signature jump on the red carpet uh, he's in great shape. Uh, he has a big following. A lot of people already love him. He can do comedy. He can do romance. He can do action. He's your one. And not only that, but on and off screen, he's a great role model for people. He's a wonderful dad. You can see just how much he loves his kids. He was very outspoken early on in the me too movement. Um, and is really a, uh, um, somebody in Hollywood we should all look up to. And I would like to see more people at that level, that caliber of, of, uh, acting with, 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 with that caliber of acting chops and also that that good of a, a and wholesome of a person making their way into Hallmark instead of these bland generic um, dollar store uh, Liam Helms Hemsworths they already have. Alrighty, and the floor is open for debate, guys. So uh, I'm sorry, you must have misheard me when I pitched my answer. I said Dolph Lundgren, not Wesley Snipes, who has had a much more speckled history when it comes down to it. And I also detest the idea that we're talking about a bunch of old actors who are grasping at straws with their careers, as opposed to Hallmark actors who are younger folks grasping at straws to start their freaking careers. Right? I think that, Dolph Lundgren would can be get a them. fun 
I think he would be a fun person to make a Hallmark movie. We're not trying to start a new franchise. We're not starting, you know, a whole new series of something. This is going to be a one-off. So let's not make it. Let's make it a Dolph Lundgren one-off. Because um, I, he's been on TV before. He's been on Chuck. He's been on uh, Expendables 2 video game. He has had a diverse history in his acting career. And now I'm starting to think that I can filibuster this whole time. And just talk well, about I'm going to go ahead and interrupt career. you real quick. Because <laughs> deflecting yeah. for no reason whatsoever to Wesley Snipes doesn't make a lot of sense to me when Dolph Lundgren in his own interview talks about how he would be involved with orgies while filming that quote left him too tired to work. Um, Why are we sex shaming Dolph Lundgren? We're not sex shaming. We're saying he was too tired to work. So it's not what he did. It's the fact that it affected his job. I don't have a problem with people who consume alcohol, but if you show up to set drunk and we have to postpone or that we don't get the right shots. And that's when an did he say this happened in his career? Was this uh, recently or was this back in the eighties at the height of cocaine? You know, uh, he did not say he did say it happened in the eighties, but he has not said that that doesn't happen anymore. It's, it's, Patterns can pattern. You, you can make decisions based on, on past patterns. I think we can see that people change, which is what Christmas is all about. Any, when do we have any evidence Santa, that Dolph Lundgren has changed? When it comes to the Grinch, I haven't we seen just an article grasping posted at straws. in the chat yet either. You're just kind of throwing out things. But when it comes down to it, we are talking about straws. And I think, Tom, you and I can agree that the Liam Hensworth is a straw man when it comes to leading a Hallmark movie. He's already what? He's, Everybody's what? already. We've got thirty-seven <laughs> Liam Hemsworth lookalikes every year on Hallmark movies. Well, we have thirty-seven Hemsworths. <laughs> we don't like, have. There are not enough. Real. There are not enough black actors on Hall on Hallmark, and not enough black actors in Christmas movies. That's very true. I'm but not arguing. Both Dolph Lundgren and Terry Crews skew a little bit older than your Hallmark Christmas movie leading man. I'm sorry, I didn't know mean, we were age shaming Hey, filibuster town. I'm so we still don't talking. like diversity. <laughs> no, no one said anything about not liking you're, diversity. You're, you're I, let me take a breath and continue speaking. So they are both. Brian, help me keep it about Tim. <laughs> and Hallmark is a either a not going to do a thing where the they're both you know equally aged the actress and the actor that are going to go through the romantic plot. Hallmark's not going to do that because their bread and butter skews a little younger, and they're certainly not going to do the older guy cast with a younger woman because that irritates women. And again, that is their target market. What do these women like? They like good-looking guys. What does Liam uh, Hemsworth bring to the table? He's a good-looking guy with name recognition from a movie series that a lot of them liked, the uh, Hunger Games series. So that is what a lot of these casting choices are in Hallmark movies. Like, oh, you like this guy in a 90s sitcom? Guess what? Now he's trying to find love in a small town. You can do the same thing with Liam Hemsworth. Here's my problem with Liam Hemsworth. He is the easy answer when it comes to looking at the cast of The Expendables. If Hallmark did the easy thing, then This Is Us would be on their channel. Okay? That easy answer is the right answer. But I if would two plus, if you got four answer, and two plus no, two, write it no. down. The, the answer no. is not the answer is not who would be best or who would make the best movie. It's who should start playing a leading man. And I'm gonna say we need to stop discriminating against people in Hollywood based on age and ethnicity. Look, that's a, not me. I think 
That's the business. We're not going to change the business here today. Right. And We're I'm looking at should about... from a moral from a moral perspective. Morally, they should not be casting the the Liam Hemsworth. That's right. Hallmark has enough budget for two films this winter season. I just read an article about it, and those two films should star Terry Crews and Mr. Dolph Lundgren. Okay, I got a I got a follow up question here, guys. Just off the off the cuff what? here. What? What? A follow up question. Yep. My agent right. did not agree with this. I'm walking. <laughs> a popular a popular thing about uh, '80s action movies is the big catchphrase. So, what would be your actor's big Christmas Hallmark catchphrase? I think we should go in order of the original answer. Okay, Tim. That's not a mistletoe. That's a mistletoe. <laughs> Alrighty, Brian. I can't do a Dolph Lundgren accent, so you know. I think it should just be, uh, "I'm happy for Christmas again." Tom, yo, Santa! Oh God, <laughs> that's not even how Terry Crews talks. I can't do a Terry Crews. <laughs> I, was also, I was going for somewhere that was, somewhere that was awful. In the, that was Rocky, that was like awful. yo, Adrian. <laughs> Yo, Adrian. Yo, Santa. Yo. I, I can't do a Tom Terry Crews. Right. Yo, Santa. When is Terry Crews Sylvester Stallone? <laughs> He's not. But I'm just going for I'm just going for a catchphrase. I'd like to see. I'd like to I see. I would like to know how much points the catchphrase is because I think I nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tim, give us your closing statement. Uh, well, I mean, we've had Damn some. It. I mean, look. Let's not let's not kid ourselves. All three of these guys would be interesting to watch. You'd be like, <laughs> what? What? Dolph Lundgren is on a Hallmark movie? Record that. What? Terry Crews is on a Hallmark movie? Record that. But, oh, Liam Hemsworth is on a Hallmark movie? Kids, go to bed early tonight. Mommy's going to watch some Hallmark. That is so sexist. (laughs) Okay, Brian, what's your closing statement? That is so sexist. We can't just do that. That's awful. (laughs) That tears down, like, everything. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) <laughs> right we're talking Post about bringing viewers to the channel and if we're bringing um, viewers to the channel we're going to drive better re- ad revenue and i think dolph lundgren would provide that kind of power um and i think he's got the acting chops to do it so if we're talking about pure viewership then yes to your point you just made ooh, dolph lundgren's in that and it's a hallmark movie i'm gonna make time to watch that this season whereas uh liam I'm sorry, was it Hemsworth? Yeah, sure. Uh, Liam's, uh, eh, eh, dime a dozen. Terry Crews, yeah, kind of pulls that star power as well. But at the same time, not in that way Dolph Lundgren was. Because it's like how I said in The Last Merry Melee. It's an intrusive thought. And you think, I want to know more about that. Alrighty, Tom? Okay, uh, I, I want to pick up on one key thing that you said, Brian, you said the star power that Dolph Lundgren was. And I think that's the key to separate him from Terry Crews. Terry Crews is hot today. Dolph Lundgren was 30 years ago. And I'm sorry, Tim, I just can't justify the continuation of, of problematic casting with Hallmark. <laughs> All righty. Well, 
Thank you, guys. I'm about to be a horrible person tonight. I, I don't think you're bad. sorry at all. <laughs> I'm going to throw that out there. You said you're sorry. I don't think you're sorry. I don't feel it. I don't feel the sorriness. Is it okay? Well, real quick, is it just me or does every time I look at Mike, does he look like he's posed for a perfect headshot? Hundred <laughs> percent agreed. Every perfect headshot. That does, it could be your podcaster, like, hey, about the opera. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I will, as the host of this show, I am going to give uh, Cloud one point in the chat because he says to Brian. He says, as Dolph Lundgren, the catchphrase should be, as he fixes Santa's sleigh, if he flies, he flies. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. That was, I was really mad when I saw that, actually. Oh, I didn't know the chat didn't auto-scroll. Oh, I've been chat. missing a ton of it. Yeah, yeah you can oh, see a lot the of chat. chat. Hi, Claude. There, there is a lot of chat. There's yeah. a lot of chat. So, um, Mike, give us your, your judgment. I was... Very on board with Terry Crews. I was very on board with Dolph Lundgren. I'm not too on board with Liam Hemsworth. Tom, however, loses points for Yo Santa. <laughs> I'm giving this point to Brian. All right. Brian with a point from Mike. All right, uh, as the person in this chat who has probably seen more Hallmark movies than anybody else, God, I hope so. <laughs> For your sakes. Um, uh, they have beaten me down, and I know what the formula is and how it works. And frankly, Liam Hensworth is the only remotely realistic answer here. Would I love to see a movie led by uh, Terry Crews or Dolph Lundgren in a heartbeat? Dolph Lundgren, yes. Many PhDs was grace jones's boyfriend like they don't come any cooler tom you're assuming that that the current uh, stable of hallmark actors aren't already having all night orgies but still showing up to work on time and that's why they're professionals uh but hey if they can show up to work on time have fun absolutely <laughs> but yeah now here's the thing if they they if they if they manage to sign Terry Crews or Dolph Rundgren those guys are playing grandpas in these movies unfortunately because that's just the way these things these movies are made for like women over 60 but they god forbid if you are a woman over 40 trying to get cast as a romantic lead because it's just not going to happen and the same thing applies to the men unfortunately so uh yes in an ideal world and one that we would like to see you know different choices from them and different <laughs> kinds of films those would be great but uh i think we are we are stuck with the hallmark hand that we have been dealt and so i i don't know why they're not on the phone to liam hemsworth right now because yeah he has that blankly attractive look and you know for for audiences everywhere he's that guy from that thing which is exactly what they're looking for <laughs> i love that phrase blankly attractive <laughs> How dare giving it you to bring Tim? your experience into this? All right, <laughs> All right Anthony. <laughs> All righty, Anthony. So let me start off by saying all of your answers. This is the weakest round yet. No offense, guys. Whoa. In my opinion. <laughs> thanks. thanks. My self-esteem one. needed a hit, and I appreciate you giving it one. So thanks for that. Um, That's not true. We had so- way weaker rounds. <laughs> So, so I do want to say, Tim, uh, Tim, I do want to say I did like that 
for the first few minutes of the open floor debate, you just sat back and let Tom and Brian destroy <laughs> one another. <laughs> I I looked at your camera, saw you put the virtual blanket over yourself in the snow. I loved it. <laughs> um, I did, however, find while the age debate for these movies is relevant, I found it a bit weird because people in Hollywood play younger all of the time. And I think Terry Crews can come off younger than 52. And when you look at the ages of the leading Hallmark actresses, Candace Cameron Bure and Danica McKellar, 45 and 46 respectively, they're closer to Terry Crews in age than Liam Hemsworth. Liam Hemsworth has the physique for a Hallmark film, but I think he's actually too big of a star power to be in a Hallmark film. So that's why I can't go with Liam Hemsworth. I can't go with you, Tim. Tom, you had me with Terry Crews until until you you actually switched me to Brian's side here with Dolph Lundgren. You said star power that Dolph Lundgren was. And that's like the key for all these Hallmark films. They get star power that was, not star power that is anymore. And I still think Terry Crews is big enough where he's a little too big for Hallmark. So for that reason, I have to give this point to Brian. Um, I would I would say in a perfect world, it would be Terry Crews, more representation. But Brian made the better argument, and you kind of solidified that for him. So oh, It's cool. No, we're, we're all good with, with blanket racism. I'm, I get it. <laughs> wow. All right. Brian, and don't man, don't forget the child prostitution. Yeah. Can I say Terry Crews was actually my first choice because I love Terry Crews? Terry Crews is my first choice as well. well. I think we all well, decided on well, Terry Crews. Well, if we're Cruz. making it with can we get Grace Jones back and solve that problem? <laughs> well, when I heard Tom say Terry Crews, I was like, oh, people are going to think I'm favoring my co-host because he would have been my first no choice. No one's yeah. going to Everybody's think Everybody's first choice was but Terry Crews. No one's everybody. ever everybody going to think that. But to your Tom point, I know I've already lost the point, forbid. but if they're getting Terry Crews, they're not also poning up the dough for Danica McKellar or uh, Candace Cameron. Like they've, no. they've blown all of their money on Terry Crews. The entire <laughs> thing takes place on a card table in a blank warehouse. Also, <laughs> I, I, I did Liam Hemsworth? Liam Hemsworth? Danica and Candace started young and got to sort of age into their current rep as Hallmark Queens, but they're not going to bring anybody new at the age of 45. That's also very true. That's a great point. Um, before Todd breaks his tie, since I think we gave everyone one point each, right, Todd? I do want to say, uh, commend yeah. Brian on uh, your argument here. That, no, no, um, no, Brian, Brian, got, Brian the point. got the point. I voted for Brian. Yeah, Brian this, is oh, just icing. this is just icing on the cake, but you can tell me. <laughs> I I Go did on. like how quick you were when Todd sprang the surprise question at you to throw Tim under the bus there and say we're going in order right how we started the <laughs> yeah, so you yeah, had yeah. more time I, to I think got that too <laughs> but I still didn't pick up on if he flies he flies yeah. which again Claude Jr. Good job, in the Claude. chat knocked it out of the park that that was great oh it's and, so good and Tom, what about, Tom, what about really I will bake them. I was trying to think it's also very good. Oh, God. All right. Tom, I'm surprised you didn't bring up the fact that Terry Crews was um, other people's first choice. Well, I guess you wouldn't have known. I I had no way of knowing that, unfortunately. Yeah, Yeah. well, because I listened to a previous Mary Merlay where several people said in the course of the arguments that it was their first choice. I'm like, well, I ain't saying nothing about that. That's, That's amazing. All right, guys. We uh, our melee has turned into Donnybrook. 
We are all tied at one point apiece. <laughs> a I sure was looking for will. a Tilly's. <laughs> we can all be winners, guys. <laughs> the and real now, winner is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> Shut up, Tim. <laughs> uh, I think I lost friends by <laughs> insinuating that. Uh, I mean, Tim hates old people, is racist, and. <laughs> He's sexist too. All right. I mean, I wound down my pants and took a dump on Hey Arnold. So, like, I didn't make any friends either. I don't think anybody saw that as actually malicious. (laughs) That's like Uh, Mickey Mouse putting on a villain mustache. And it's like, well, it's still (laughs) Mickey Mouse. (laughs) Like, I guess what he's doing is dastardly, but at the end of the day. (laughs) All right, guys, we are moving on to the blind fight. I'll take off my glasses. Yep. Um, with with the score being with the score being all tied up at one, whoever wins this fight will move on to the speed round, and then the other two fighters will move on to the tiebreaker to see who moves on to the speed round. So the blind fight. You guys don't know the question, and you don't know your answers. I have seven slips of paper here. One through seven. Brian, you're scheduled to go first. Which piece of paper do you want? Uh, give me number seven, please. Alrighty. Your answer. Home Alone. Cool. Alrighty. Tom, one through six. 4.5. All right. That's I'll go with four. Not- I'll go with four. I'll try to get myself two options. Come on. Points for trying? No? Yep, yep. All right. Your answer, a Christmas story. Oh, no way. All righty. And Tim, you have one, two, three, five, or six. Since I was the winner of the first Merry Melee, let's go with lucky number one. All righty. Christmas Vacation. Can can we just... Can we ask you to reveal what number five was since Tom locked in F4? What if he would have done if he chose five instead of well, four? I will give them I will give them the question, then we'll go through the other answers okay. that they could have. Got it. Sometimes to be the best, to be the Merry Melee champion, sometimes you have to say things you don't mean, but try to make us feel like you really mean those. So you have picked the movie that is the worst Christmas movie ever made. And the remaining answers that were not selected, 1947, Miracle on 34th Street. It's a Wonderful Life. Elf. Or someone could have chosen the Santa Claus. Oh, well, that would have won. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, you have disqualified yourself from my ranking this time. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm arguing for it. It was a joke. It was a joke. I was doing it for entertainment. That holds up in court, right? <laughs> Alrighty. <clears throat> so, Brian, you had Home Alone. Tell us why Home Alone is the worst Christmas movie ever made. You know, it's... A bad movie is a lot like pornography in that it's hard to define, but when you see it, you know it. 
and I think Home Alone lives up to this. Sure, there's talk of Santa, but really what we're living out is a sociopathic child's tendency towards violence, which is what we see here with Kevin McAllister. And while we get some kind of muddled lessons about family, it's really kind of almost in a, oh, I've fallen in love with my kidnapper kind of uh, way where it doesn't really stick. And I think it's evident that whatever lessons were learned don't stick because there was a Home Alone 2. And in Home Alone 2, Kevin's still a little asshole, as is his brother, as is his mom. And as much as I love Catherine O'Hara, she's not doing a great job. These lessons aren't sticking with, and she's still losing her temper at her son. Oh, wait, no, wait. No, I'm sorry. That doesn't happen in Home Alone 2. But she loses her temper with her son and uh, uh, and forgets the kid again. No one. There's a second. They don't learn. The family left the kid alone again. This time in New York. I yield my time. Okay. <laughs> All right, Tom. A Christmas story. Why is it the worst? Well, um, I feel at a little bit of an, at an advantage here because I really do think this movie is absolutely terrible. Uh, so we've got this movie that attempts to create some sort of nostalgia from a bygone era that doesn't really exist. Um, they're trying to, we're trying to encapsulate f- this, this just overly sentimental, uh, throwback. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at this family that's suppo- that we're supposed to be able to relate to. And I, I just can't, the whole thing is all about the whole focus of the film is about consumerism. The dad wins this big prize. Ralphie needs this gun. That's what makes Christmas. Um, and all in all, it's, uh, e- there are little there are little plots along the way that that have to do with Christmas, but it's not even a major Christmas movie. It's more about kids in winter, and the the story has us cheering for this dad who's a total douchebag to his kids. I mean, he's just an awful, awful dad, which I get supposed to be from that you know from that time period. But uh, I have you know I have personal experience to know that's not how all dads were. Not only that, we're the whole movie. We're 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 just laughing at people's suffering and misery. That's, and it's not in a it's not in a an overly uh, unbelievable way like Home Alone. You know, we can laugh at that because that's something that's never going to happen. Um, the acting isn't that great. Um, you know, I guess I I think. I wrap it up. I just, with the movie, I don't find any Christmas spirit. It doesn't come across as a great Christmas movie. I don't get the feels from it. I don't like the redemption arc. It's just, it's a weak, it's a weak Christmas movie that, that plays up. Like I said, horrible, horrible human beings and, and bad things happening to people. Alrighty. Tim. I mean, if we're going to talk about unlikable main characters, you think Kevin McAllister and the dad from Christmas Story are D-bags. Uh, the, the, I can't remember the dude's first name. The Chevy Chase, I mean, well, Chevy Chase, right off the bat, is in real life not a great guy. But Clark, there it is, Clark Griswold, nailed it, stalled for time, made it happen. Clark Griswold is... Like, who are we supposed to be rooting for? He is not a nice person. He is self-centered, and he is 
way too rude and egotistical for the situations that are around him. Like, it's all about him. It's all about what he wants. And it's all about, like, everybody else can conform to what he, the kind of Christmas he has decided that they want. And he is way too mean to his neighbors. Like, I understand they are 80s yuppies, and so we're supposed to not like them, but they did nothing to deserve the 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 reign of terror that he brings upon them. He destroys their house, well, a window in their house. He insults the wife in front of the husband. They end up, like, with the cops in their house. Like, it, like they did nothing to actually, other than being kind of unlikable, they did nothing to the Griswolds to warrant that. And also... Cousin Eddie is the worst. Like, there's there's nobody to root for in this. Like, Cousin Eddie comes over, ruins things, uh, commits a felony, and there is no redemption arc. It's just like all these things happen and we decide, oh, it's okay. Not for a reason. They didn't learn a lesson. They didn't be like, oh, I've been a jerk and I shouldn't be a jerk. People just like, I guess I'll stop being a jerk because we're almost out of film in the camera. Worst movie, worst Christmas movie Christmas vacation. All right. Floor is open, guys. Okay. So um, the Kevin McAllister thing that we keep hitting on, like that just, this just feels like a hipster modern attack. I can't go anywhere without seeing that, that Kevin McAllister has uh, is, is a sociopath. Everybody knows that's not what they were going for. Um, they were going for a kid who was trying to take back ownership, reclaim what he had. Uh, and he a hundred percent learns his lesson by the end. He actually, he actually learned something by the end of it. He does. If Not he learned something by the end of it, he wouldn't have pushed his brother in the start of the second movie and called him a big fat We're not fat talking about jerk. the second movie. We're talking about the first movie. And yeah, I'm talking short, about their the first short memories. movie. Home Alone's still in the title. Uh, I will say at least both of your movies are funny. They have really funny moments, even if it's the slapstick over the top. I would venture to say that this failed attempt at creating a Norman Rockwell Americana in film makes Garrison Keillor humor look exciting and lively. It is that dry and boring and it misses the, it misses the mark so many times. Uh, Chevy Chase. I mean, that's, there's just comedic value there. It, some of it's slapstick, but slapstick is tried and true. The, the opening of the Christmas tree, for example, in the house, you cannot love that. You cannot hate that moment. Um, you know, the, until the, the squirrel of packs the perfectly innocent neighbors. It's hilarious, and uh, they kind of have it coming. They don't have a real I, Christmas tree up. I'll give you two reasons why a Christmas story and Christmas vacation do not qualify for worst Christmas uh, movie uh, of all time. Uh, one, uh, Home Alone isn't played on TBS for twenty four hours straight every year. It's too expensive. Story is. They can get the rights Christmas cheaply for is. a Christmas story because it's a, it's a terrible movie. Right. So and, it doesn't cost anything um, to air. When it comes to Christmas Vacation, there's a movie that you can watch with the family as they get older. It's going to stick with you longer for more mature audiences. Yeah, but you can't show that to your kids. There's so much swearing and violence in there. And the and the, and the lusty scenes where, where Clark's, yeah, Chris- Clark's objectifying women as they jump in. It's all about but a, spending time. But a Christmas with your story has so many classic moments. You the, you'll shoot your eye out. The you know uh, the the tongue on the 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 lamppost. The you know the the big leg and that like there's so much classic. There's like people love that movie. You just there's summarized, no way you that's just the way. summarized just like everything Christmas that people talk about that movie. Oh man, you just summarized everything people like about that movie in five minutes. Yeah. I mean, isn't that what we're doing right now? 
Yeah, no, I'm saying you just said everything that was good about that movie in like three seconds. There's That's nothing not left after you're done with that. There's plenty of other stuff. I don't think we can quantify how much people love a movie and actually think that. that there is an entire. There are entire Facebook groups devoted to people's hatred of a Christmas story. I mean, there's and, entire Facebook groups devoted to lots of things you shouldn't hate, and yet they do. Let's not go as goes Facebook. Yeah, so now, show shall not go the moral compass one. of this contest. <laughs> Alrighty, Brian, give us your closing statement. Cool. Okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying Home Alone's the most hated movie. Uh, of Christmas movies. I don't think uh, that's what this argument calls for, nor what the question asked. Uh, I do think it is a terrible Christmas movie uh, because it's all very surface level. It's all very vapid. These things wouldn't happen in a real life scenario where I may or may not have had an uncle actually come to our place in an RV and think that they can dispose of their gray water in the sewage. It's these real-life things that make a Christmas movie great because they're relatable and we can see our families in those situations where I have never shot a robber in the dick with a BB gun. (laughs) You're not living. (laughs) Just hasn't happened. Oh, by the way, uh, by the way, there's a doggy door on the back door. I didn't see a dog that whole goddamn movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right you have my time i don't <laughs> all right uh well aside from the fact that home alone spawned a franchise that went way past its prime and that home alone is the highest grossing christmas film of all times uh it's generally a funny movie i mean there's there's so there's so much there and it's something that speaks to kids. It's it's a very child empowering movie that they can protect themselves. Uh, Christmas vacation again, just an awesome classic. You talk about, you talk about classic, you talk about things that you can remember. Look at how many lines we, we all that have made it into the collective pop culture of from Christmas vacation. And again, this was part of, a continuing franchise. It wasn't so bad that it, that it killed the franchise. It kept, it kept going. Um, so I would say that both of those have been able to con- have been a continuation. Um, there has not been a successful attempt to do anything uh, on film again with a Christmas story. And there's a reason for that. You let it die. All righty, Tim. I mean, there's never been a successful attempt to sequelize It's a Wonderful Life, but no one's going to argue that that's the worst Christmas movie because of that. Uh, Home Alone, I mean, it's just, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful movie. It's a classic. It's, I mean, like you said, kids love it. Um, uh, A Christmas Story, like that's that's just every year you want to watch it. You want to see that again and again. Christmas Vacation, maybe when the kids are in bed, we'll put it on. <clears throat> maybe we're half maybe we'll put in a party on in the background so we can see colors and shapes on the screen but it's it's just it's too it is not a movie where a christmas lesson is learned and things are better like it's not like the spirit of christmas does not overtake the main characters the spirit of christmas like it's just it's not a good christmas movie guys i don't know what to tell you i know i know a lot of you like it and you're going to hate me for saying it but it's not <laughs> <laughs> 
I know, I know Tom doesn't like a Christmas story, but that doesn't mean everybody doesn't like a Christmas story. And I know Brian is pretending not to like Home Alone, but lots of people like Home Alone. But genuinely, a lot of people don't know, forgot about, or dislike a, a Christmas Vacation. Alrighty. Thanks, guys. I believed each and every one of your arguments. Alonzo, so. <laughs> <laughs> can you unpack all this for us? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I know that uh, there's a certain level of sacrosanctness about all three of these films, but I think there's also a case that can be made that they are, you know, maybe not great, but that we, you know, uh, hold them close and and return to them every Christmas for for other reasons that maybe don't have anything to do with quality. Um, I think, you know, the, the for me, this this really kind of comes down to like who's who's really making the case here, because I uh, for me, I could I could I could make a case for any of these films. I, I do want to be clear that that uh, Tom has expressed that he is pro Facebook hate groups. So we should just know that going forward. Um <laughs> Add that to the list with everything else we've learned this evening. Some terrible, <laughs> terrible things that we've learned this evening. Uh, but if I got to look at the, if, if I'm going to go strictly on the three arguments that are being presented by our contestants tonight in this um, nail biter of a tiebreaker round, uh, I think that Brian really kind of nailed in a much more objective way why there are issues to be had with Home Alone. Um, even though, again, all three of these films, a case can be made that they got problems. Alrighty, Lonzo's point goes to Brian. Anthony. I don't envy the three of you. <laughs> because um yeah, you know, these are three classics, right? I would rank them all in my top five. Brian, you started out with a great argument when you compared a bad movie to pornography, but then uh, I, I, I felt you were grasping at straws, and I don't blame you. That was the hardest one to get, the hardest draw. <clears throat> Tom, I feel like you had the easiest one because you have legit hate for this movie, but I feel like your arguments, you know, you missed the point of the film, <laughs> and you and you didn't make as clear of an argument as Tim did. Tim, you actually, I don't know your feelings on Christmas vacation, but you made me believe you actually do dislike it. You made the best case why Clark is an awful human being. And so is cousin Eddie. And, you know, while I don't think you hate this film, well, I don't think, well, I know I don't hate any of these three films. Tim, you made the best argument. You sold it to me. Christmas vacation. All right. Point goes to Tim. All right, so that's Brian and Tim. How about you, Mike? What do you say? Well, going into this and seeing all of the choices that you were all stuck with, my least favorite of these three movies is A Christmas Story. It's just, I never got into it. I understand why people love it. However, I named my podcast after a gag in Christmas Vacation, I have a special love for that movie, and Tim just made me hate it. <laughs> he had the best argument. I have to give him that point. All righty. Tim with the point. Tim, you are on to the speed lightning quick round. And so Thank you goodness. Can... My answer for the tiebreaker is <laughs> awful. And uh, so you can just kind of... Can you rest. clarify? 
can you clarify, Tim? You don't hate that movie, right? No, I don't hate that movie. However, I just okay, saw it just for the first sure. time last year when I reviewed it for the podcast, so I'm not burdened by nostalgia. Awesome. I was like, oh, this is yeah. enjoyable, but I could pick it apart. Yep, that's nice. fair. That's what being a Star Trek fan <laughs> is, enjoying something and also ripping it to shreds. Calm down, Spock. <laughs> yes, Tim, you did very good because I had no idea if you liked that movie or not. Yeah, very you know, good argument. I, I, I could I could tell I could tell Brian was having a hard time because he liked Home Alone and I could tell We watch it every Tom, year. It's just yeah, so I, difficult. I could tell t- uh, Tom was having an easy time because he doesn't like that movie, but you had really no idea how you felt. That was that was well played, sir. I, well the good thing you chose chose seven though. That in my head I was like, Oh, I'm gonna pick number seven. And then you picked I'm picking seven. I'm like, Well, I'll pick something else then. So that would have been me if not for the grace of you. <laughs> I'm not excited for this tiebreaker. <laughs> All righty. So, Tim, like I said, you move on. So this will just be between Tom and Brian in this tiebreaker. And we are visiting Mike's old nemesis here from the Merry Melees. Best Christmas song to debut in a Christmas movie. This is not why I voted for Tim in the last question. So I wouldn't have to listen to that again. Just just to get that out there. All righty. Tom, open this up, sir. You know, when I think of of Christmas movies that or when I think of Christmas songs that directly speak when I think of Christmas songs that directly speak to me. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is, is one of my favorites. When I look at the context around how it was uh, delivered in Meet Me in St. Louis, uh, it's even better. It's a song that that is is hopeful despite what's around you. Um, it uh, has twist, it just like White Christmas, they both stood the test of time. They've been around for years. They are iconic songs. But there's the the Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas has a little more depth to it and a little more... Um, I can re- I, uh, a little more that people can relate to. There's this longing, this this wanting for more, and um, this last year during the pandemic really brought drove the point of of the 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 meaning of this song home to me. When we've all been without those that we're closest to for the longest time, but we still at Christmas time have hope, right? That's what this song speaks to. It speaks to the to the hope of something better that comes at Christmas, um, and. Uh, I will say for where, like I said, for where we are right now, deal, living in this COVID world with with people separated, with people away, with families that we're not seeing, this song just has a special ring to it. Um, and I don't, and I think it's if we listen to the song, if we watch the movie um, Meet Me in St. Louis, and you you look at where where the song is coming from, it will hold a special place in your heart where we are in this world right now. Alrighty, Brian. The reason I kind of fear this tiebreaker with Tom specifically is because I feel like we're about to get into the student body president vote and both candidates are very popular. Mm -hmm. Uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is a phenomenal song, as is, I think, obviously, White Christmas, sung by Bing Crosby uh, in the movie Holiday Inn. but to kind of go against Tom's point, we are in this COVID world right now, and we want that little bit of hope. But at the same time, I think White Christmas kind of 
gets that a little bit more. If I were just to go off of that argument of I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, it could very easily be I'm dreaming of having a beer with my friends at a bar. And you would kind of get that same effect. But that's not the argument that I'm going to mainly go for. The main argument I'm going to go for is it's relevance at Christmas. And when you are with your family and you're in the Midwest or you're in the mountains or really wherever snow may fall, however unlikely it may be, when you see that snowfall happen any time in December, my first thought of I'm dreaming of a white Christmas And I really hope this sticks because there is nothing better than seeing that freshly laid snow on the ground. And even if it's not there, it's still nice to think of that song on the day. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas because it's always going to invoke those positive memories with you. And it's always going to have that kind of callback to what we've already talked about with a few other answers in this, uh, in this show and in this fight, you know, sense memory is such a strong thing. And I think this song brings out the best of that sense memory. Alrighty. Floor is open, guys. So there, there are those for the, there are some of those who, um, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas is almost a, uh, a dirge growing up in Houston, never having seen snow. Um, you know, for people like Tim who are in California, um, it just expresses a longing that can never be met. And it's kind of depressing. Um, because, and, and then there's, there are parts of the whole world that can't relate to that song. Um, I was talking to some friends who are from Australia and the idea of, of a white Christmas is so foreign to them that, uh, the song doesn't translate. Have yourself a merry little Christmas with lyrics like let your heart be light from now on. Let your troubles be out of sight. Um, Through the years, we'll all be together if the fates allow. These are things that um, the entire world, the entire human collective can relate to. Um, And for that reason, I'm going to argue not only can we relate to it right now so much in COVID times with that with that hope. But I'm going to Arnold. I'm going to argue for a universality that uh, that White Christmas just doesn't have. You know, Tom T. Hall sings a song. That's how I got to Memphis. And even though I've never been to Memphis, I can still relate to it because Memphis is a stand-in for wherever you are now. Just like I'm dreaming of a White Christmas isn't actually necessarily talking about a white Christmas. It's talking about that security that you feel on a good day with your family and your friends and all that excitement and that joy and that love is in one place and you're dreaming of it. And it's a good place to be in your head, in your heart, and in reality. And it's something that you aspire to, you know, just like the ones I used to know. Right. You want to recreate it as you should. It's not one of those things like, well, I re- I shouldn't recreate my wife. No, that would be reanimation and potentially a cyborg situation. We shouldn't get into that. I'm going to argue with that, too. It hasn't been done. We don't know. <laughs> uh, it hasn't been done yet. That's a weird right. argument. It has not you been never done know yet. unless you're, you're right. going to try. You're right. Um, you're right. But there are there but, are certain parts of, of White Christmas that that are definitely, definitely calls to an, uh, uh, an experience that's not universally shared by people. People in Australia do not know what it sounds like to hear sleigh bells in the snow at Christmas time. Um, the treetops won't glisten 
because there's nothing for the sun to to shine off of. It's very the lyrics are I understand what you're going for. There is some some nostalgia there, but the nostalgia is still tied up with the snow itself. All right. Brian, give us a closing statement. I mean, listen, I think we're talking about the same uh, different sides of the same coin. Right. I think you could have easily taken the points you just made against White Christmas and have applied them to have yourself a merry little Christmas. This is, again, why I didn't want to get into this tiebreaker with you, Tom. (laughs) I don't know you, but these are good answers. I like both songs. They're great. But I like White Christmas just a little bit more. Alrighty, Tom, what's your closing statement? Uh my my closing argument really is going to be I, I have to agree they are both great songs they're songs that are iconic um, Judy Garland singing I'll Be Home for Christmas and Bing Crosby singing White Christmas it doesn't get much more classic um, Christmas songs than that really I mean I mean it's it's about as classic as it can possibly get the the thing that pushes uh have yourself a merry little christmas just a little bit higher for me is the fact that it's it it does offer me a hope that i need right now plus uh looking at the fact that it's something we can all understand and relate to all righty thank you guys very very tough this i have a feeling this question will be revisited a few times because this is this is one to really hash out because each time well two times i asked it but it was always both these questions so or both these answers, I should say. But Anthony. Yep. So for, so firstly, I want to commend both of you um, for keeping the debate civil because these two songs are both iconic. Yeah, you can't really – it's hard to argue against either of them. Um, I would argue that they both are the best things to come out of the movies they debuted in. <clears throat> Having said that, I have to – I have to give my point to Tom purely because I really liked the way he tied back this um, hopeful message during such bleak times back to the current times we're living in, uh, how it makes a song more relevant and resonant than ever. Um, and I think he made a good argument against White Christmas in that half of the globe and the country don't associate snow with the holiday and they might not um, have the love. It's not as universal a feeling as have yourself a merry little Christmas conveys. So my point will go to Tom, but both great arguments, both great songs, both great fighters. So already Mike, what's your opinion being on the opposite side of this question now? Well, living someplace where it is warm most of the year, and I probably won't see a white Christmas again anytime soon. Tom actually kind of lost me on the argument that people who live in warm climates can't relate to it, especially the ones who've never experienced a white Christmas before. The song starts, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, even if it follows just like the ones I used to know. That's details. But I liked Brian's argument better here that we've seen enough Christmas media now that white Christmas is of white Christmases that people who've never experienced one can kind of create that longing to experience something that they never have before. Um, and I think, I don't know that he really argued this point of it, but, but Bing Crosby singing of white Christmas, it's way more iconic than have yourself a merry little Christmas. Than that. So he also Alonzo. beat his kids. So I'm going to go out and love you in the child abuse. <laughs> 
enabler category. Whereas and Judy Garland was an Inn exceptional parent. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that part up a long ago. Nice try. <laughs> All right, so it's down to me then. Uh, yes. Yeah, these songs are both iconic, and they're both great. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think it, it does come down to the arguments. And, and you know, Brian, you started out talking about how well, you know, what the song means to you and how it brings back those those snowy Christmases. And then when, you know, Tom quite rightly pointed out that uh, that is not the case for a lot of people, you immediately 180'd and made it sound like, oh, no, no, I mean, all along, I meant it was a metaphor. And, uh, blah, blah, blah. So you lost me there, frankly. And uh, I think that, um, yeah, uh, that, that uh, certainly if, if we're looking at, at, at current context, I think that uh, the poignancy of, of Have Yourself uh, a Merry Little Christmas um, really, you know, became clear uh, in the recent. And, and, and I, I think that there's a lot to be said about White Christmas as a song about nostalgia. Like the movie White Christmas is about the fact that the song White Christmas is about nostalgia. Um, but I think Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas um, addresses, uh, you know, the idea that there that we can be currently in a situation that is somber or Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or tragic, or at least just sort of lacking in, in what we want. But but the, the, there is a future ahead of us. There is a, a possibility that things are going to get better. So uh, I got to give this one to Tom. Alrighty, Tom with the point. Brian, that was the hardest debate I've ever been a part of. That's a, that was a tough one. Hands down, <laughs> you did a great you did great with it. Oh, it likewise, just, they're both they're just. It's hard to argue stuff like that, y'all. Like I thought I landed it with the Tom T. Hall a little bit more, but then Alonzo came in and shattered that. <laughs> as this is why I hate making lists. In Cal- <laughs> as someone who's born and raised in California, I can absolutely say that everything you see on Christmas in media is all about snow and hills. And so, like, yes, you are dreaming of a white Christmas because you never get one. So you can be longing for something that you have never had. That's but it's that argument. second line. Like just like the ones know. I used to know, yeah. Just yeah, like the ones I used to see on television. To their experience <laughs> with it. The just ones like I used to know could very easily from the TV. Yeah. Alonzo, yeah, exactly. you, you, you could do Thank a Weird you. Owl version. <laughs> I'm sure it the... was written in by Poolside, by, in Los Angeles. Like that yes. is why it was, it was written in California, longing for old Christmases. I was really hoping that wasn't going to come up. I was hoping that wasn't going to come up by by a Jewish man. So you know. I think I'm sure the Germans have a word for having nostalgia for a thing you've never actually experienced. (laughs) (laughs) Double secret nostalgia. (laughs) Well, Brian, Brian, this is your second melee. You, you are a great fighter, but uh, we have to move on with Tim and Tom to the speed round. And, uh, but thank you, sir, for, for coming back. And we hopefully see you fight and judge in Merry Melee Season 2. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, screw you, screw you. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're cool, and I'm not pointing at anybody on the screen, so good <laughs> you ever. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's, cool. it's well been a played, pleasure meleeing with you. Likewise. Oh, All man. Right. And I, it's weird, been a pleasure man. judging you. Damn All it. Right. I shine in the lightning round. Uh, lightning round is where legends are made. <clears throat> All right, we got and the light breath. Fall. Yes. When I didn't, I never. Nope. Not Mary gonna troll. <laughs> not gonna troll my judge. All right. <clears throat> Too late. <laughs> <laughs>
Here in the lightning round, I will read the question. The judge or the fighters do not know what the question is. They will come up with a answer as fast as they can. The first person I hear uh, will go first. I know there's internet situations, so it's just going to have to be the first one I hear. Contest. Uh, and uh, if both uh, fighters blurt out the same answer, again, it's the first one I hear gets it. The first one that answers goes first. They get 20 seconds uninterrupted. Um, and then the next fighter gets 20 seconds uninterrupted. Then they get a 10 second rebuttal each. And we go from there. When you hear this, it means you're over and judges do the best you can to discard anything said after the buzzer. Our first question. This one been on the list for a while, but never been asked. Which Christmas podcast host would survive the longest in a zombie apocalypse? Mike Westfall. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to bring a judge in. That's a tough one. Can it be a regular podcast appearance or does it have to actually be a host? Host. Uh, I'm going to go with me. <laughs> I'm going to go with me as well. <laughs> By that, I mean me, not you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, this is not going to go well. All right. But it'll be entertaining. It Isn't that be. what we're all here all right. for? <laughs> all right, Tom. Your time will begin when you begin speaking. You answered yourself as which Christmas podcast host would survive the longest in a zombie apocalypse? Well, um, I have a house that's easily fortifiable. I only have a few exterior windows that can be locked up. I have plenty of stuff to use inside of my home as a weapon. Plus, I just got a new fence, which is awesome. Uh, it's very secure. The uh, posts are metal posts and they're well rated. Oh, crap, that was fast. I didn't even talk about my garden. All right. And Tim, time will start when you begin speaking. Listen, I'm a wily guy. I'll figure out somewhere to go, hunker down. I don't need to talk to people. I don't need to go out and venture for stuff. I'll just sit still and not interact with anybody. If, perchance, the zombies do attack me, I know the thriller dance, so I can just, <laughs> boom, boom, lodge, get them all into submission, and they'll be on my side, and then we'll dance and have a good time. All righty. Tom, your 10-second rebuttal begins when you begin to speak, sir. Dancing is cool and all, but try being able to grow your own food. I have a massive garden, greenhouse, bunker underground, uh, already ready to go. And I'm not in a densely populated city. There aren't that many people here. Tim? Great job of describing why your house would survive the apocalypse, but you particularly, not so much. And I'm in a densely area. The beach is right that way. I'll just head that way where there's almost nobody. Boom. I'm out of here. All right. Mike? Uh, the correct answer is actually Dwayne Bailey from Tinsel Tunes, who lives in New Zealand, where it is summer during Christmas and walking dead bodies <laughs> would bloat in the heat and potentially explode. So short apocalypse. <laughs> but Tom had the better argument as for finding a safe and secure place that zombies can't get into. So point to Tom. All righty. Alonzo. 
See, I was going to say the correct answer is actually Brian Earl because he would just be really organized. And then if the zombies got too close, he would just calm them down with that very <laughs> mellow voice. Um, yeah, this is a, this is a toughie because frankly, I, I see both of you as uh, fodder for the undead. Uh, but uh, it's hard to say no to a guy with a bunker. So I, I, I and I, I have questions about the bunker, but anyway, I, uh, the, if Tom has a bunker, then Tom wins. <laughs> Alrighty. The point goes to Tom. I, I was also going to go Tom based on the bunker. Uh, the correct answer, I think, though, is Julia, because <laughs> she's the only Christmas podcast host I know besides myself who still sticks with The Walking Dead. So she, she knows how to deal with a zombie. And Todd, okay. Uh, I stopped watching it because I saw all the things they were doing wrong that I would do better. Uh, plus, I want to say, if we were talking about frequent guest stars, I was going to say Ron Hogan. Ron Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> I knew right away when you asked that. I'm like, no, you cannot pick Ron. <laughs> Thriller is literally the only zombie media I have paid attention to. Do any of y'all watch The Middle? Yes. No. No. Okay, you know there's Brad, and when he gets in a fight, he thinks it's going to be a dance fight, and then gets punched in the face. I feel like that's exactly <laughs> what happened. Tim goes out and gets bitten in the face while uh... in the video it has magical properties, and they all dance with him. They do. They I do. assume that is the rule of zombies. A five, six, seven, eight. Alrighty. Uh, all right. So our next speed round, quick round, lightning round question. What is the most Christmassy non-Christmas movie? Gremlins. There's no time limit on this part, so I can think now. <laughs> Strap in, everybody. I'll grab a sandwich. <laughs> Frozen. Already, Tom, you answer first. So as soon as you begin speaking, your time will begin. Gremlins is a movie that's set at Christmas, not a Christmas movie. The scenery everywhere is beautiful. There are lots of wonderful Christmas trees. The home is decorated nicely. The music is great. Um, it's just got a lot of good Christmas feels, especially as you know, you've got, you turn, um, uh, these, these creatures into homicidal maniacs. It feels like Christmas. In the Crow House. All right, Tim. Frozen is definitely not a Christmas movie in that it's not at all about Christmas, but it does have that wintry feel and it's all about family and overcoming family hardships. And it definitely has great songs in it. Some of them are now played as Christmas songs just because of the movie's release date proximity to Christmas. So it's the most Christmassy non-Christmas movie. Okay, uh, Tom. I would argue there's nothing Christmassy about Frozen. There are no Christmas trees. There are no Christmas traditions. Um, the music itself is, while well, there's maybe some songs played at Christmas time, it's not Christmas music. Dang it! <laughs> Tim? Gremlins kind of is a Christmas movie. It's at Christmas, and but it doesn't have any Christmassy feel to it. So it is both disqualified for being a Christmas movie and also not being very Christmassy at all. There's nothing Christmassy about it. <laughs> all right. Alonzo, your thoughts? 
Uh, I actually agree with Tim's last point. The Gremlins is a very much a Christmas movie, and it is also not very Christmassy. So uh, I, I, even though I wouldn't have picked Frozen necessarily, uh, I, I'm going to go with Tim on this one. Alrighty, and Anthony. Tim, I think you fell into the trap where uh, <laughs> we kind of like in the lightning rounds, everyone kind of shoots themselves in the foot or makes an argument against themselves. You made the point. It's not, a, it's not it doesn't feel like Christmas is a winter movie. So for that, I'm going to have to go with Tom because I think that's a movie set at Christmas, not a Christmas movie. Okay. That's one each. How about you, Mike? Let's break this tie. Whereas Tim made that one point that Frozen is not a Christmas movie. That also gave him an advantage where he took his time to think of his answer. To Alonzo's point, Gremlins is a Christmassy movie set around Christmas, so it is kind of disqualified. But even if you don't, you have that whole scene with Phoebe Cates and Santa Claus and talking about that. Whereas Tim took his time, thought about a movie that had nothing to do with Christmas, but still had Christmassy sort of feels around it. And in the pop culture, he's right you get those songs into on the Christmas playlist now because of it. And it's covered in snow. I think he gets the point here. Alrighty. Tim with the point on this, we are all tied up at three. You can cut the electricity with a knife. If I had just Fighting. taken one more second, I would have picked Superman, the movie. I'm surprised you did it. I would have picked Batman Returns if I would have thought. There's Christmas in that movie. It says what non-Christmas movie? A movie set at Christmas is not a Christmas movie just because it has something Christmassy. Depends. Is that ragu? Because that's some weak sauce. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness! For once, I'm on Tom's side. Yeah, I think we're just. Reading, I think it comes down to the definition. Maybe we should ask the guy who wrote the book about Christmas movies. Oh, wait, it's me. I'm having that's a good. lot of fun just spectating. <laughs> you should say that out loud. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was hilarious. No, no, not the thing you wrote in the chat. Oh, what? Batman Returns is the O'Doul's of Christmas movies? It's not a Christmas movie. And it's not beer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Ah, good times. Sorry. Didn't mean to uh, derail you, Todd. Oh, we're we're fine. We're never on any rails around here, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) All right, guys. This is the tiebreaker. This is for... The May, Merry Melee champion for all the marbles with the upcoming Spider-Man No Way Home set to take place at Christmas time. What other movie franchise should tackle a Christmas time movie? Movie franchise, okay. Hmm. Point of clarification: Does it have to still be going, or can it be a defunct franchise? As long as it's a movie franchise. All right. Can I ask a point of clarification for them as well? Yes. Does it have to be a franchise that's never had any movie set at Christmas before? 
Well, that's I the think the question, question suggests that, yes. Yes. Okay. Just making sure. Fast and the Furious. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey. What? <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, Tim, as soon as you begin speaking, your time will begin. These movies are all about family. So what happens at Christmas? The family gets together. And this time, they got to save Christmas. It's a bunch of them. They are driving in fast cars, and they probably have Christmas decorations on them, but they got to save Christmas somehow because it's in trouble. They can always think of a reason, and they're driving fast cars while they do it. Everybody loves it, and it's Christmassy. Yay. All right, Tom. What better franchise is set for a nice redemption arc where we see a character discover the value of other people in a, in a, and, and learn to, to, to love mankind um, and not just see people as things that he can use and abuse against the Christmas backdrop. Tim. Not only should 50 Grades of Shea not have a Christmas movie, there should never be any more of those movies. Uh, but also, how hilarious would it be to see The Rock in a Santa suit or an elf suit? And the same with Vin Diesel and all of them. Oh, we just going to love it. Um, with as many Fast and Furious as there, as there are, there should also be no more. And how great would it be to see the guy tie up the girl with, like, mistletoe handcuffs? Or... <laughs> Already. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> Mike. Oh, <laughs> Tim had the better argument. Like he was on his toes for that one. He he took his time thinking of a good answer for it, and right out of the gate, he just he ran with that idea and I, I was impressed. All right. That's one for Tim Lonzo. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I think that really the, the, the 50 shades franchise, the, the character arc that Tom is describing really kind of happens in the third one. Yes. I had to review it. I've seen all of them. Oh. Um, and I think oh. frankly, taking that franchise to Christmas just introduces the notion of, you know, beloved holiday uh, objects and accoutrements then becoming things that you can either smack somebody with or insert somewhere. And we just don't want that. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 the Fast and the Furious movies are all about family and so is Christmas. And so by all means, I totally want, uh, 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 you know, the North Pole set Fast and the Furious 14 whenever it is it happens. So, yeah, I give Tim the point on this. All right. And I would like to thank Alonzo for saving me from uh, having to be the tiebreaker <laughs> against my co-host here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That means, Tim, you are the Merry Melee champion. <laughs> it was a team sport. Uh, all of us won this together. 
Isn't that right, imaginary listener? That kind of sounds like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> sure is. <laughs> I do want to just clarify. I have never seen or read Fifty Shades of Grey. I just had to be more ridiculous than Tim. <laughs> I also have never seen a Fast or a Furious. All right, Tim, you are the winner. Let us know where we can find you at. You can check me out at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com or wherever you get your podcast on the 25th of every month. And if this comes out when I think it does, your most recent episode features Alonzo. All right. Tom, let us know where we can find you and Anthony. You can find us uh, wherever you get your podcasty goodness by searching Tis the Podcast. All right. Mike, where can people find you? You can find the Advent Calendar House conveniently at adventcalendar.house. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at Fall West Mike. All right, Alonzo. Uh, I'm on Twitter at a Duraldi, and that will uh, take you to uh, stuff that I've written and podcasts I'm doing. And uh, as I always tell people, come for the Christmas, stay for the socialism. Alrighty, <laughs> and Brian. Uh, you can listen to uh, myself and my co-host uh, Chris and John on our Yuletide TV Christmas podcast. You can also find me on Twitter under Brian Co-host a podcast and the grocery store on Tuesdays. Probably around five thirty-six. I go Thursdays. That's why we've never run. Yeah. Ah, sh- oh, damn it. All right. You and, gotta get uh, a Reese's for yourself. It's just a little gift for doing the chore every time. Yes, and. Uh, all those links for everybody will be in the show notes and on my website, so they will not be very far away. I encourage each and every one of you to check out their stuff. It, they are all fantastic, and they are all fantastic for taking their time out to do these silly games with me. And uh, I really appreciate each and every one of your time so much. I, I say that all the time, but it feels like it's inaccurate. inaccurate. I can't even talk. I don't feel like it's enough. Uh. How about that? <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Thanks. Thank Tom. you, Todd. Such a pleasure. Hugs and kisses, everyone. Hugs and kisses. <laughs> and Todd, thank the- you for giving me the chance to be on the other side of the fighting. Uh, yes. I much preferred it on this side without the heat on me. Yes. Oof. Well, thanks yeah. for stepping up very last second. And for all those in the chat watching the live stream, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining me here on Christmas Clatter. Be sure to check out our website, christmasclatter.com. Email me at todd at christmasclatter.com. Christmas Clatter is a proud presentation of the Christmas Podcast Network. And remember, keep Christmas hope alive every day.